0: Welcome to the Leap of Fate podcast with me, Randy Silver. This is going to be part two of our series on systemic racism against black people. Last week, you heard from a couple of my friends, and this week you hear from one more. His name is Ken Glanville. He grew up with my dad, and he's going to talk about systemic racism he has experienced throughout his whole life, from childhood to adulthood. And not just him, family members is experienced against as well. The last segment on the show this week will be myself wrapping up everything you heard, talking about experiences in my life, and what we can do to enact change. By me talking about this stuff, you will also get a sneak peek into who I am, and why I started this podcast, some of the morals that I have, and what I've done to help with the Black Lives Matter movement. This is going to be a really good episode. Excited for you to listen to it. I'm not going to waste time and let you get straight into it. Enjoy. Hey, Leap of Fate podcast family. I am interviewing my friend. Actually, it's my dad's friend. His name is Ken Glanville. Him and my dad have been good friends their whole childhood. And I asked my dad if he could reach out to Ken to let me interview him, see if he would be okay. Cause I wanted to get a perspective from just the millennials I'm interviewing today from someone who's a bit older, who has probably seen them more, could probably relate to some instances that happened from the sixties and his forefathers type of thing. So Ken. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for taking the time to speak to me today.
1: Hey, really, Thanks so
0: much. I enjoy this. This is awesome. So let me take you back now to you growing up. Do you have any experiences of you growing up of uh, prejudice?
1: I, I flash back to, to several stories, but um, yeah, I, I, I feel like um, you know I've heard the N word plenty of times. I've heard variations of the N word, you know, and I. And I, it was probably, you know, I probably had just had to look it up or had to understand the meaning because it was a another derivative that was not common. N word was the easiest thing, it, you know. It's our, it's part of our civilization, our, our uh, you know, whether it's rap music or being brought over on the ships from, you know, as slaves. You know, we heard that word. For example, when I was playing baseball. In high school, um, this guy who you know I slid into him hard, and that was his first reaction was to call me the N word. So, out of anger, you know, for me sliding into him, that came out. It was obviously in his makeup, you know, that was a that was his way of lashing out at me. And you know, this is you know in the late seventies. So, um, I landed in my in college when I got to. Uh, my, my final college of Barton Univers- Barton College, uh, my senior year, I had transferred and some kids just walking down the street just, you know, called me Mooley. And I was like, I don't think I've heard that since like, uh, <laughs> you know, growing up, up in, New- you know, just going to New York and hearing it. What is so, Moolie? Mooley is just I, I think it's a term that was. uh thrived in the Italian culture that for, for, for black people. Um, And that's, that's where I, I heard it. I mean, that's where I found out kind of its background. So I didn't even respond to it, obviously. It was just, you know, late at night for kids and, and
0: myself walking in different directions. So. um, People do that to you, especially on the baseball diamond. Did your teammates back you up? How do you feel? How do you go on and just, play the next play without that in the back of your mind.
1: Yeah, they, they backed me up and they they vilified the the kid, um kind of shamed him into at least apologizing, and our coach was very headstrong and and fundamentally, you know, perfect uh on and off the field, but not allow that to pass without, you know, addressing it. So, um it, you know, border under the bridge. We we moved on. It, it wasn't an issue after that. So, um, but, you know, it it was just a microcosm of things that, you know, that happened, you know, okay. when it comes to race relations.
0: If my dad always told me that, you know, your brother, some people may recognize the last name Glanville. Uh, Doug Glanville was a former MLB player and works as an analyst on television. My dad actually says you've always were a better player than he was. So that's unfortunate <laughs> that someone would take it and use a derogatory term against you and not see you for the athlete that you, you really are. And so this takes it back to another question that we spoke to Chase about is a lot of people of color in their social academic bra- background only are able to come up and make wealth via being an athlete and using their God given skills. Now, what type of upbringing did you have? Was it lower class, middle class, upper class? Did you have opportunities to have education to bring yourself out of it if it was lower, things of that nature?
1: Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I was uh, definitely, um, well, we worked our way up to the middle class, let's say. Uh, my father came from Trinidad, West Indies, uh, as a, uh, basically as a Rhodes Scholar, but it was the, the, their version of that. So he got a full ride to Howard University studied med school studied uh went through the med school program became a doctor so you know with internship we were struggling bouncing around from DC to New Jersey and um, then we eventually landed in Teaneck New Jersey and um my parents and my mother was an educator um graduate of Hampton University first of her of the family so we they they made strong headway they they followed their, their dreams they when they searched for Teaneck though to moving to Teaneck they they looked at a um, a place that was culturally balanced they um they did their research you know there was um and and you know growing up Teaneck became the mecca of 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 all races I mean our neighborhood for example once we arrived at the middle class let's say um you know I, I had um, uh, Jewish family to the left and right of me had Irish family in the corner, Protestant here, Jewish across the neck, uh, Italian up the street. We, we covered everything in, in just a, a few miles of, of street. And so we all got along. I mean, it was just kind of, it was very refreshing. Uh, it might not have been, you know, realistic to the, the whole world, but it, for then it was an instrument of change. You know, we all realized, uh, you know, we're all human beings. we all, you know, we treated each other fairly. So, with that said, once you go out into the world and we traveled a lot, you know, we saw the different cultures. We saw um, a lot of a lot of everything, basically. But you know, once I moved to the south, because now I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, and my mother grew up in North Carolina, so we spent summers here. We saw a little different attitude you know a little different now i mean there's complete southern hospitality you know in north carolina i found that you know people walking down the street would just say hey to you for no reason you know so it was refreshing from that aspect but it was still division it was still division <laughs> dean and i had a common friend uh, mike downey who, yeah, uh,
0: For the audience, Dana is my father, just FYI. Oh, yeah,
1: sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no and <worries>. uh, <laughs> and um, our common friend, Mike, um, uh, let's say he's very passionate. He's very passionate to this day about politics and everything. So there was um, a couple of instances, one where me and Mike were driving back from, uh, I think, a game at the at the Meadowlands, New Jersey, probably a New York, New Jersey Nets game or something. And we're coming back and Mike was a little boisterous out the window. And we came to kind of like a detour or something and everything was very slow. And he's just kind of just yelling out the window, nothing, you know, no slurs or anything just, and the police stopped us. Actually one police pointed ahead to the other police to make sure they stopped us <laughs> And they dragged Mike out of the car, and, I mean, very forcefully without, you know, hitting him or gun or taser or anything. But, and, you know, Mike was fighting back. And I was like, Mike, just chill. I mean, to the best of your knowledge, you know, when someone's, like, grabbing you, of course you're going to be tense. So, um, yeah, they took us down to the Ridgefield Police Station. I, I don't even think we were charged or he was charged with anything. So they, I had to follow the police car that they put him into the station and just for the embarrassment alone you know three hours later mom had to come get him they wouldn't let him ride with me and that was it but they just had to make a point so you know again these are just instances that flashes of of you know you growing up that you know they, they stay with you forever and and the other time was um, it was a bunch of us we went down to Tom's River like to, to the beach or something after graduating, and we're playing basketball or you know just in the kind of in the street, but we're you know rented a, a place to stay and police comes by. I'm sure someone probably called and said there's a lot of kids loud in the street. This police officer comes driving up and says, "Hey, you guys got to keep it down." And most of us were were black, not all of us. And then the next thing out of his mouth is, "Go back to Newark, where you belong." Really? And, uh, yeah. And this is South Jersey, you know, where I, I'm. I know there's some history there, but that's the kind of thing. It's just ah, uh, and again, but that time. Mike was a little calmer, even though he was, he was a little, he was upset, but, you know, we were fresh off of being taken down in, uh, in Ridgefield. So, uh, constant. Randomly, I was coming from playing basketball, um, at, at NC State and I, I saw a car, you know, a police car kind of in the brush a little bit. And I'm just driving a blue Mustang and I wasn't speeding. I literally just came out of the campus, got onto the highway and I saw him come behind me. So I figured, well, maybe they're checking my license plate or whatever. And, um, you know, I got pulled over and I mean, it was very it it was very stunning to me because all right, this is my first kind of other than getting a speeding ticket when I first got to North Carolina. This was um, you know, where I can hear them on a microphone telling me, you know, to let me see your hands, you no know, quick motions, you know, hands out the window, open your door, and walk backwards, you know, probably fifty feet to where they were, you know, with a gun cocked at at, at me. Both of them were, you know, brandishing firearms. Um and, you know, with just a slight turn of my head, you know, I could, I could hear it clicking. So I'm like, you know, I, I could be dead right now, you know, and I have no idea why until I get back. And, um, you know, they, 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 don't explain to me anything quite yet, but they allow me to, you know, they put me in the squad car. They finally tell me that we, they're taking me to a Burger King and, um, they're IDing me that a black male in a blue car, you know, had robbed this Burger King. So, you know, what could I do but, you know, sit there, get to this place where it's, it's almost a 50-50, you know, chance. I don't know if these people are just going to randomly ID me because I'm black or whatever or, you know, whatever the case is. So, you know, these two uh, African-American workers come out which kind of gave me a bit of relief because I'm like, okay, well, (laughs) I'm sure they will at least judge me fairly. I just don't, I can't say anything more than that. And they said, no, that's not him. And I was, you know, (laughs) free to go. But I'm like, oh, my God, this is such a mistaken identity where I could have been, I could have been shot on the street, on the highway. I I don't know.
0: How do you go home to your family and tell them, that's what just happened to me, and brushed it off like it was nothing because you can't.
1: Yeah, my my brother's in a better situation for that only because um uh, I'm still I'm single again, <laughs> and I didn't have any kids, and um but I would have had to address, that issue would have been absolutely the first thing to to talk about because it's real and it, it happened, and you know obviously my kids would have seen that I was you know, disturbed over, over the events. And I would have had to ex- explain it in an educational way so that they, you know, are not, you know, fearful of the police, for one. You know, there's so many levels of that. Um, we, My mother ran an African-American educational center in Teaneck for years. And um, I, it was on weekends and it just extended our school year. But she, part of the education, other than learning about our culture and everything, was how to respond to the police. And that's where, and I'm sure that helped me because I was in other situations like that, but just being, you know, showing your hands, always yes, sir, yes, officer, no officer, you know, just there's no reason to incite anything. They're in the, the power position. They're trying to do their job. You know, and there's no reason for me to be, you know, upset or belligerent when all that's going to do is escalate the situation. So that
0: really helped me. And then bless your mom, but there's no reason just because of your skin color should you have to take classes on how to deal with the police (laughs) who are meant to be our public servants and serve you. And so to me, that is just an incredibly powerful story that you have to take classes. Your mom, bless her, was teaching classes to make sure that situation when it turn into you're yeah. on the news for getting shot for a normal stop that that is not okay no absolutely not yeah. but yeah. you you touch on the point that i have a note i want to speak about so again we mentioned your brother doug lanville uh, national presence from being a pre- former mlb player and a telecast analyst for sports in this game last year at wrigley field in chicago doug was working as a field analyst on the third baseline In this area, there's a booth where the reporters got to sit in the crowd. While he was on national television doing a report, probably fifth, sixth inning, one of the patrons behind him made a white supremacist gesture behind him. Obviously, it created national outrage. Uh, Theo Epstein, the GM of the Cubs, denounced this. Everyone denounced it. it wada fall from it. But so two questions for you was, how did you as a family deal with it, seeing this happen to your blood relative? And Why do you think that it's okay for someone to think that this would be okay?
1: You know, to, to position himself, this, this gentleman position himself and I see, I don't even know if those were his natural seats or he, you know, he knew that was a spot where they, they interview, um, you know, the broadcast or whatever, but he was right there and chose that opportunity to do that. Right. And, The Cubs acted swiftly. I believe they banned him for life from, from, you know, the Cubs games or whatever, from the stadium. But, you know, it's it's just amazing that we're dealing with that in this day and age. You know, and to me, this this gentleman had to be just dumb. I mean, I I, I honestly think even if he was just doing this, you know, in a gesture of just being funny to his friend or whoever, you know, was probably watching. It, it's just it, it's just a a sign of the times that um throw us back it really it just throws us back and it's it causes unnecessary attention you know Doug did not like to have to answer questions about this more he he didn't i mean but you know Doug has been the face of racial you know justice and and he he teaches a class at yukon and he actually taught it at pen as well about social injustice and um, ironically. <laughs> and uh, so, well, I think more in, t- in turn with sports, in tune with sports. So, um, yeah, I mean, he had to address it and, 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 and that was that. Uh, but it can happen anywhere, anytime, even more. And you brought up that, you know, that that is one of the first things that pops up under Doug Lambeau, but, it was just a few short years ago that he's in Connecticut in front of his house, snow blowing his, his driveway. When a cop drives through the neighborhood slowly and, and stops at, at Doug's house and asks him, so what are you trying to make a little extra money? Really? <laughs> so, you know, Doug being dumbfounded like why is this police asking me he says no i'm just I'm just snow blowing my house <laughs> I mean as simple as that so long story short this turns into you know national news in a sense because for one i I believe and I'd have to review the story that somebody um in the neighborhood may have been may have saw somebody in their yard or somebody trespassing around. And so that's what sent the police out. Um, and I guess because Doug was – and the guy was probably shoveling, you know, driveways for money. That's what, I have to assume that was the association. And, uh, yeah, so Doug was, of course, upset that someone would ask him that – the way he put it, of course. And then to find out that as Doug – you know, and his wife's a lawyer, so you can imagine, uh, Doug had, that um, the police was out of his jurisdiction. It, was a, it wasn't it was even, um, it was like they're in Hartford, the police was coming from West Hartford. So that caused a whole nother issue. So Doug and his lawyer wife, over the next year, pursued this just to make it clear, you know, what the rules are and the laws. And there is, I think, if you look it up, there's the Doug Glanville law now where um, the jurisdiction of police has to be adhered to, you know, strictly. They, I guess they would have, the West Hartford police would have summoned the Hartford police to do some kind of search.
0: How do you feel about that? Your brother is just doing his job. Your brother's uh, taking care of his yard and he's getting accosted to a degree for nothing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just, just. So unsettling is is the best description because, again, we're in the the 21st century. You know, we had, you know, civil rights was 40, over 40 years ago where, you know, we were dealing with lynchings and, you know, just civil unrest. You know, 100 years before that, you know, slavery had to be abolished because, (laughs) you know, it's... It's, but it's part of the history, you know. You can't turn a blind eye on that. You, but you need the knowledge. You need to know. People need to, you know. That's what you go to school for. You learn, you learn about the history of society, your culture, your country, the world, you know. So it's just unsettling.
0: So for... People listening today, if you could offer, you know, two minutes, how can they make change? What can we do not being on a national level in our own communities to help fight for change and the that change?
1: Well, I mean, you, you have to you have to become familiar with your government, your police, um, you know, your, your districts, you have to take it. I mean, you don't have to become a politician or you don't have to, you know, protest every morning out on the street, but you, you have to go through the infrastructure and make sure you uh, address those people. And, you know, the best time would be when there's, when the unrest is not so prevalent. You know, that's when you can go in and nobody, everybody's not, um, you know, on edge. So, um, yeah, I think that's probably the best thing is to just talk to people, talk, find out who's, you know, there's probably some outreach groups, some, uh, you know, simple as meetups that, you know, at least you have a a, a voice and you can share with like minded people, you know, and then, and then, you know, you kind of go from there.
0: Uh, do, do you feel like we're going to actually enact the change that we're speaking about right now?
1: I'm hoping that people just don't brush it under the rug. It has to be. It has to be some change because otherwise we're going to just keep repeating the same mistakes. Mistakes. Yeah.
0: And then five months from now we have a national election where we can have opportunity to elect officials on all levels of government to be able to enact leaders who will fight and make that change.
1: Just that's our being. We're humans.
0: Let's get along. Let's get along. And I think that's the best message to leave on on positive note is through all this, you still have this great mentality of you've overcome so much adversity in your life and you see the positivity in humanity and you know that it's out there for us to just all get along. So thank you Mm -hmm. so much, Ken. I appreciate your time today. I know this is, again, a very hard, tough subject to bring on. And I hope that the viewing audience can learn from what you have spoken about to help educate themselves and help in helping that change on um, their level as well. Thank you so much, Ken. Anything else? Absolutely. Well
1: just tell your dad I, I have I owe him a wiffle ball slider to strengthen him <laughs> out time we get out there.
0: Alright, uh, he's probably hasn't swung a bat in twenty years. He might need a softball for that one.
1: Oh man.
0: No, not softball. All right, all
1: right. I'll give him a I'll cut him some slack.
0: Cool. Well, next time I'm out in Raleigh, when all this other pandemic of coronavirus is done, we'll have to go get dinner with you when I can go visit my team out there again. So I'll make sure to connect with you when that happens.
1: Absolutely, man.
0: Looking forward to it, man. Thank you so much, Ken. Have a great day. Right, you too, man. Thank you to Ken for coming on the podcast. As you learn from him sharing experiences throughout his whole life, he's had encounters with the public and with the police that have been racism. He got pulled over for no reason. People have been yelling at him. And it's really unfortunate because, as he said, the civil right movement was 50 years ago, and today we're still seeing the same type of systemic racism happen. We're nowhere farther or further than we were back then. I think a good way to end this podcast is me recapping everything we went through. And what did I learn? Through the first three episodes, you've really got to listen to me be an interviewer and share people's stories. Now it's time for me to reveal myself a little bit. Y'all, I'm Randy. Nice to meet you. Let me get out and show you what are my beliefs. Why should you continue to listen to this podcast? Because I want you to be invested in my audience who come on, but also I want you to be invested in me and know that I'm doing this because I truly do care and have the passion. 27 years old, I live right now in my parents' house in Irvine, California. I have an apartment in San Francisco with two people. However, because of the quarantine, I've been living at home since March 5th-ish. I haven't been home this long. It's now three months since pre-college when I was in high school. Went to Santa Cruz for college for four years, moved straight to San Francisco, out of college, got a job. I haven't been home besides for Thanksgiving, which would have been three, four days max. So it truly has been nice to be home with my parents, hang out, relax. And I've been using this quarantine as a life reset. I was watching CNN and Don Lemon was interviewing Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley was talking about the golf tournament that was happening over Memorial Day weekend, the celebrity tournament. And he said, reality sucks for most people. 99% of people out there, reality sucks. I didn't agree with that statement and it struck a chord with me. I don't think that's true whatsoever. And that's why I had a light bulb. I was like, hey, I know so many people in my life who have overcome adversity if their life did suck and have persevered. I want to share their story because I love telling stories. And that is what inspired me to start a podcast. I always had this idea of a podcast in the back of my head. I'm a global sales manager for Cisco. I manage 25 people globally one manager in San Francisco, one manager in London and then we have people sitting in Singapore, Boston Raleigh, London and San Francisco so I'm a teacher at heart I'm sharing stories of how to develop these people and make them go from their position as a junior sale rep on my team transition up to the mid-sized sales rep continue on continue on and Toot my own horn I've done a great job at building up the team and getting them to the next level and that's why I wanted to start this podcast is, I can use that same type of knowledge of inspiring my team, pushing them to their goals and interview people who have done that and share it with the broader audience. And that's how I got the idea of the Leap of Fate podcast. Created everything within two weeks. I bought a microphone. I finally just got in the mail. So stoked on it. Blue Yeti, if you haven't used it before, super clear voice. I digress. But taught myself how to edit audio on GarageBand on my computer set up the necessary systems. And here I was, first episode, Sean Levington. Shout out Airwear Apparel, as always. Right now, what I am doing is important. Episode two was going to be with my friend, Mark Whitting, who started a YouTube channel called After School. You'll hear that when it comes out in a couple weeks. Really, what needed to be talked about was George Floyd RIP. And I use my platform here for the past two weeks to share stories you heard in the first week chase shared his story about being half black half white even though he was mixed he still received people calling him names saying he smelled because he was black i'm asking him if he liked fried chicken because he was black people called him the n-word and it's just not okay not okay on any level a black man and Alice, his white girlfriend had to dictate their life as a couple based off the perception of people around them. When they traveled the world, they had to stay locked armed to make sure something wasn't happening in their hometown, in their community. They had to jog next to each other. So it didn't look like anything funny was happening and Nase was chasing her. All their stories together was hard to listen to. However, At the end of it, each person had optimism for the future. We talked about getting out the right to vote. Important, making sure that you elect people at your local, state, national levels. They also talked about different groups, such as the Big Brother program. Alice's Guide to the whole Bay Area, pretty much, if we want to be probably the East Bay. But the whole East Bay of black-owned restaurants, black unions to go join, and black charities you can go help with. And it's fantastic to see. This week, we got to listen to Ken. All throughout Ken's life, be that it, it was the police or just normal everyday people, he experienced racism against him. All three of their stories are very courageous for them to come on and talk about it. And I really appreciate them taking the time out of their day. And you know what? I could have just clapped my hands and said, I'm done. I didn't my part to educate and do the job. I also did my part to try to change. But I was inspired by all three people who came on and everything I've seen to go out and be more active in it. When I was in San Diego this past weekend visiting friends, my friend Reed and I were thinking about, what are we going to do today? Shout out, Reed. And our friend Emma called us and said, hey, a group of us are going over to the protest to go talk about Black Lives Matter and gay pride together at the same time because it also is Pride Month. Shout out, gay pride. And truly, it was life-changing. This march was in the Hillcrest District in San Diego. The police were helping block it so everybody could walk in the streets and have nothing. So it was a coordinated effort between the organizers doing a peaceful protest and the police. And it was no issues at all. It was perfectly run. And it was a great, great atmosphere. Walking down the street a brass band was playing, marching people down. And we're talking 7,000 people they announced were on this march and at this rally, all coming down to brass band. You could see the joy, you could see the happiness, and it was all peaceful, and it was all to the point of, what's his name? George Floyd. What's her name? Breonna Taylor. And we can't let their lives just go to waste for such unfortunate killings. We can stand up and make a change. I hope you saw the video of George Floyd's five-year-old daughter on top of Steven Jackson's shoulders. She was yelling, my dad is changing the world. My dad is changing the world. And truly, this whole movement has been something different. As you heard each person say, and I'm sure you felt yourself, it just feels different. There's more investment. There's more to it than just, hey, a protest in this city, a protest in this city. It's been big cities medium cities, small cities, and it's time because you know what? It can't be that our friends have to look over their shoulder just because of the color of their skin. It can't be, oh, the next one will be better. It needs to change now. And that is what everyone is fighting for. And to take it back full circle. I had an idea to start a podcast and made it happen. And I wouldn't have had the opportunity to share these stories of these courageous people who came on So if I never do another episode of Leap of Fate, don't worry, I'm not. I'm really enjoying this. Then I would be satisfied because I know I did my part through this. I helped educate people and I helped inspire people. In finale, I want to thank you for coming on this journey with me. There are many different things you can do with your life and you chose to listen to my podcast and I thank you for that. I truly do. Because you went through this experience with me, you got to hear the stories from Tinashe and Alice, Ken and Chase, and you got to grow and become a better person. And that means you're doing your part and you're making your change in your own way, which I appreciate. So what do I have coming down the pipe for you on Leap of Fate? You'll hear from a special Father's Day episode of my friend Josh, who's a single dad, to a very, very beautiful daughter, two, three years old. Hopefully we'll be able to get her on too. She'll make your day. We got Mark's episode coming up as well. You get to talk to my other friend, Sean, who's a former soccer player throughout Europe and Asia. We're going to have people come on and talk about mental health. We're going to talk about the stock market and using Robinhood and just things like that. We're going to talk to people who started their own businesses and more. So thank you for, again, coming on this journey with me. I'm so excited that we're three episodes in. I can't wait to hit episode 10, 50, 100. Along the way, we're going to have our last We're going to have our cries, but most of all, we're going to have each other. (laughs) That was so lame. Sorry. I probably just lost people for that, but whatever. Cool. I do love y'all. Hit me up at leap of fate pod on Instagram, on Twitter at leap I have a website. Go check out a bunch of stuff until next week. Y'all stay healthy, stay well, and most of all, stay classy of pod fans hey listeners post quarantine don't you want to look and feel good mind body and soul? Well look no further as you heard first on this podcast, AWare apparel is the company for you. AWare stands for meditation and mindfulness and you'll be in the right mindset. the way the clothing drapes off your skin, the way it makes you look you know you'll feel like a million bucks and look like it too. Don't take my word for it go to their website. Aware apparel.com. A W E A R dash AP dot com or go to their Instagram page, Aware Apparel. You'll look like a million bucks, you feel like a million bucks, and you go conquer the world.